Why don't we turn our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58. Um, you know, if Greg had a good passage last Sunday, I think this is up there. This is almost, almost better, almost as good. So we've got about three more weeks to go in Isaiah. And um, you can see where we're up to in Isaiah on the slides. We are closing in on the finish. But it has been a great book. All right, let me read Isaiah 58, verses 1 to 9. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion, to the descendants of Jacob, their sins. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they are a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one head like a reed and lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Verse 6, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then you will call and the Lord will answer your cry for help. And he will say, here am I. Amen. Uh, well, this, this evening is our, one of our annual Next Step Sunday services. Hopefully on the way in, you got your Next Steps form. Uh, if you are new to the church, like you've been coming a week or this is your first time, do not stress, you do not need to sign your life away. You can if you want. You can if you want. But for our regulars at the end of the service, I'll be asking us to respond in a bunch of different ways in response to that passage in Isaiah 58. Uh, But one way we'll be responding at the end of the service is I'm going to get you to fill in your next steps form and we'll all respond by corporately kind of coming down together and putting it into the basket, picnic basket of love. All right, does that sound good? Um, this is a bit of a once-in-a-year opportunity for us at Manly Life just to work out who's who in the zoo. Um, but also, as we kind of head into next year, just to make sure you're serving in our ministry teams, get ready for life groups. Um, and just a suggestion, don't do too much, right? Don't, don't, don't get burnt out. But don't do nothing, <laughs> right? Don't be a spectator. Get involved in the life of the church. Use your uh, ways of serving, your gifts, and contribute to the local church. Amen. So if my sermon's really boring, feel free to read over that form as we go. But let's get into Isaiah. 
Isaiah has posed the question to me, what would it look like for the people of God to be faithful in fulfilling their side of the bargain? Um, It's a pretty good bargain, as we've seen. I I probably shouldn't call it a bargain. It's a covenant. But remember chapter 5 of Isaiah? I think we did that in the week one of this series. God describes his people as like a vineyard planted on a fertile hillside. He says the land has been cleared and it's been watched over so that the vineyard may thrive. And it says God looks for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. It's a reference to God choosing this people, uh, delivering them out of slavery in Egypt, giving them the promised land, establishing them, watching over them. And he's promising to them that he will bless them and give them life if they are faithful. Verse 7 of chapter 5 of Isaiah says, He looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. That's the bad fruit. That's what the vineyard that he has established and looked after is producing. So the people of God have not fulfilled their side of the deal. Now, despite that, regularly in Isaiah, we read that God will forgive them. He will bless them. He will protect them. If they just return to him and live just and compassionate lives. And then in the midst of this incredible book of Isaiah, God's rescue plan for all of humanity is developed. Chapter 7 to 12, this child comes on the scene who will bring justice and righteousness to the nations. And then in chapters 40 to 55, this servant appears who will bring peace unto all. And by his wounds we will be healed. And in both cases, this child, this servant will draw all the nations of the world to the glory of God. And we've kind of said who that is in Jesus Christ. But the question remains, what does God require of us? Now, God may be faithful in delivering his side of the deal. But what is God looking looking for from you and from me? Well, in today's passage, I think we get a crystal clear picture of what God requires of his people. Now, in other places in the scripture, God will talk about requiring our faithfulness and our character and sharing the good news and and integrous lives, all kinds of things. But today, the crystal clear precursor to God moving, to healing, to light bursting forth from the people of God is that we would live just and compassionate lives that stands on the side of the poor and the oppressed. Victoria and I watched a really moving film on Netflix the other night called Harriet. Has anyone watched Harriet so far? There we go. Everyone else clearly has a social life other than us, Peter and Susan. And, you know, anyhow. It tells the true story of the runaway slave Harriet Tubman. And her incredible bravery in helping many other slaves in the 1850s in the southern states of America escape from slavery on the Underground Railroad. I um, highly recommend it. It It's an amazing film. 
And it starts with a very confronting scene in which the white landowners and the slaves are at a church service together. And the landowners, the the owners of these slaves, clearly see no contradiction between owning slaves and their purported Christian faith. Well, Harriet Tubman is a remarkable African-American woman. Uh, She's a woman of deep Christian faith. And you've got to watch the movie. She has this incredible prophetic gifting. Uh, History records that when she was taking slaves out of the southern slates, moving them north into states where slavery was already abolished, she would often drop to her knees and pray for God to guide her and the slaves that were with her. And on a regular basis, she avoided capture because God told her not to go this way, but to go that way instead. She is a remarkable woman. But here's the truth. In one sense, I can't really identify with her. Um, She's amazing. But the truth is, I have never been oppressed. Um, I've never experienced the kind of things that she experienced. But aside from these kind of cruel slave owners in the movie... There are also these privileged people in the film who actually do stand up against the evil of slavery at great cost to their own position. One is a um, white landowner named Thomas Garrett, who was a Quaker. Quakers were amazing Christians. The sect kind of died out, but they were very faithful followers of Jesus. You might know them from Quaker Oats, but they started that company. But Thomas Garrett helped two and a half thousand African Americans escape slavery. And he did that by using his house to hide them as one of the stations on the way to the north. For this, he was harassed, he was arrested, he was convicted, and it led ultimately to his financial ruin. And I was reading about him just this week and it said at the court case where he was financially ruined, he stood up in court and I quote him. He said, Judge, thou hast left me not a dollar, but I wish to say to thee and to all in this courtroom that if anyone knows a fugitive who wants shelter and a friend, send him to Thomas Garrett and he will befriend him. Isn't that good? Isn't that remarkable courage and bravery? Now, I could be desperately wrong. Um, maybe you are oppressed in some way. Uh, but my, and there will be people at church going through different things. But my guess is that God's word to you and to me is to address our privilege. And the potential part that you and I may play in perpetuating injustice and greed around the world today. This is Jesus saying to all of us, to whom much has been given, much is required. It is probably more likely that you will be asked to take a stand like Thomas Garrett on behalf of the oppressed rather than as being one of the oppressed. Now, I can't speak for any of us, but certainly to many, if not most of us, we need to approach the scriptures with some self-awareness. You know, we read the scriptures from a place of power and wealth and from privilege. So the question that Isaiah 58 poses to us 
is will we as God's people keep our side of the deal and take our stand on the side of the oppressed? Will we use our lives to give voice to the voiceless, to help the wanderer and to feed the hungry? So in Isaiah 58 today, there's three sections to this passage. Firstly, a question is posed, verse 1 to 3. Why doesn't God seem to answer their seeking of him? Secondly, verses 3 to 7, God responds with a charge against them relating to observing religious practices, but finding themselves on the wrong side of injustice. And then finally, verses 8 to 9, God promises some amazing things. That if we respond accordingly to whom we are called to be, God will do some amazing things in our day and age. All right? Let's have a look at the passage and then we'll make some suggestions for how we might respond. Firstly, God's people complain. Isaiah 58, 1 to 3. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion, to their descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they are a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions, they seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? So the complaint of God's people during uh, Isaiah's time is a common one. God, we observe religious practices. We seek you out, but you don't seem to notice us. God, we want just decisions to go our way when we feel like we're on the wrong side of the stick. Why won't you come and help us? Why won't you come near? And I wonder if you've ever found yourself with a similar complaint. Or maybe you've observed someone around you making the same uh, argument with God. You know, God, I come to church. You know, I'm sure I just live my own way the other six days of the week and do whatever I want. But God, I do the religious stuff. Why won't you come and help me? Well, from verse one, we find out that God can actually see you as in a place of rebellion. And we're about to find out why. It's not that fasting and seeking of the Lord are bad things. Heavens, no. It is what is happening in the people of God's lives alongside their religious practices. God responds, the second part of verse 3. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife, in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? It's an amazing passage, right? 
And to be honest, it, it cuts to my heart. God's response is this. You may be observing all kinds of religious practices, but then you go and exploit your workers. You fight amongst yourselves and it ends in fisticuffs. God says, what I really require of you as God's people is that you loose the chains of injustice and set the oppressed free. And then as you, you kind of you discover your shared humanity, you, you feed the hungry. You shelter the poor wanderer. You clothe the naked. One of the things that we're going to see in the rest of Isaiah, we've got about three weeks to go, is this powerful principle that underpins ethics and Christian virtue and practice. If you want to know what Christian ethics is all about, if you want to know how do we approach the world, namely it is this. There are no non-persons. There are no non-persons. That's the Judeo-Christian worldview. Everyone is created in the image of God. Everyone has value to God. Everyone, therefore, is to be treated with dignity and with compassion. I mean, that's Genesis, right? Every single person created in his image and therefore has inherent dignity and worth. And so to love our neighbour is to know that there are no non-persons. Every life matters. Every life counts. And so if we are to reflect the character of God, if we are to be on the side of justice, if we are to be on the side of human dignity, we are to be on the side of the oppressed. Are you with me? Anyone with me? You're much quieter than the morning church. There was an article this week interviewing the Baptist pastor, Tim Costello. Uh, who was the head of World Vision Australia. He was also the brother of the treasurer, Peter Costello. There you go, Baptist pastors, families, we're on the move. Anyhow, Tim Costello in this article in The Guardian, he recounts showing the film Amazing Grace at Parliament. And it tells the amazing story of William Wilberforce, we've spoken about that in previous weeks, and his lifelong campaign in British Parliament to end the transatlantic slave trade. Um, It's an amazing film. I recommend you watch it. I think it's on Netflix as well. It's called Amazing Grace. Anyhow, he showed it at Parliament down in Canberra. And the article says, afterward, a few Christian coalition MPs took me aside and said they were so inspired, they thought they should start a parliamentary Clapham sect. That was Wilberforce's group. And then they said, can you invite your brother to join? And Tim Costello said, fantastic. And you could immediately look at the policy of locking up children in detention. They were unimpressed, says the article, and walked off. I realise that most of us prefer our heroes to be long dead. (laughs) Now, our response may be, I don't have any slaves. I don't willingly oppress people. But the reality is that so much of the prosperity that we enjoy comes on the back of those who are oppressed around the world today. Now, in your little thing today, did everyone get the Baptist World Aid Ethical Fashion Guides? 
Good on the Bappos. Isn't it great being a Baptist? Said no one. No, it's great. Here we are. We're, come on, we're Bappos. The Baptists have put out this ethical fashion guide. They do it every year and they score different um, chains of clothing on how ethical their supply chain is. Are they paying a decent wage or is their stuff coming from slave labour? One of the statistics I noted was that 36% of companies that we buy our clothes from do not know where their raw materials come from. What does that mean? They were probably produced by slaves or people paid less than a dollar a day in places like Bangladesh. So let me encourage you, take that ethical fashion guide home. If you're a woman who loves to shop, keep it in your handbag. Avoid the shops that are unethical. And use your dollars to support people who are paying a decent wage around the world. Now, more so than that, there is an active component to all of this, isn't there? There is becoming an advocate and a supporter. There is putting your dollars where your mouth is. One of the things that I believe is every Christian should have an active interest in helping the poor and advocating on the side of the oppressed. There's so much you can do. Um, just this last Wednesday, Luke, who lives next door, sent Ryan, me and Dan a text saying, do we want to go to the pub and have a beer? And Ryan responded that he couldn't come because he was too busy in the city feeding the homeless. Well, la di da <laughs> How many years have you been doing that for, Ryan? Twelve years. Every week. Right? You know, just this last week, there was people from this church down at the Manly Salvation Army. I know my dad was down there uh, feeding the needy in this community. Chris Lake um, is a massive supporter of One Meal on the Northern Beaches that is helping provide meals for people going without in our own community. So much we can get involved in. Now today, after the service, Greg and some of his team from Homes of Hope International have a table where you can sponsor a child rescued from sex trafficking in the subcontinent. Now, whether you take information or sponsor tonight, I recommend you sponsor tonight. You know, I really think that's like an imperative that every Christian should have at the very bare minimum of what we're doing as a part of our faith. Greg texted me this week to share a photo and the news that four little ones who had been kidnapped into sex trafficking and had been rescued have come into care in their home in Dhaka. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that so good? Come on, Greg. Um, yeah, Victoria and I, we have a little girl we sponsor from Homes of Hope called Rena. And I always say to my kids, you don't have four in this family, we've got six. Because we've got Rena in India, she's your sister. And then there's a guy called Fred in Kenya who we help as well through someone else. That's our family, right? Our family is global. And you know, when they need things, we tell our kids so that they know that all the money just doesn't go on them. It also goes on supporting people around the world. So do it tonight. Do it. Sign up. Such a good thing that you can do with your resources. Now, as we've consistently said in this series in Isaiah, the Gospels and the life of Jesus is drenched in the fulfilment of these passages. If we want to know what 
justice, compassion looks like, we look at Jesus, do we not? Who constantly stepped over religious and cultural barriers to care for the weak and include the unincluded. Jesus sees dignity in every life, no matter how broken. To Jesus, if you want to understand what so much of his ministry was about, he saw that there were no non-persons, right? He treated everyone with love and kindness. But maybe it's the most powerfully picked up by Jesus in Matthew 25, in the famous, whatever you did for one of the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me passages. Again, go home and read that, Matthew 25. It is drenched in Isaiah 58. Jesus just understands himself as the fulfilment of all these promises in Isaiah. How is God going to ultimately separate his true followers from the pretenders, the sheep from the goats? Jesus says the true followers, the sheep, feed the hungry. They give something to drink to the thirsty. They invite the stranger in. They clothe the naked and they visit the prisoner. And in doing so, he says, it's like we are doing it for him. It's Isaiah 58, guys. So manly life, let me encourage you into action today. Three things in that little section. Okay? Be aware of injustice in the world today and even around you. And don't be complicit in it. Okay? That's what the ethical fashion guide's about. There's lots of other things too. Secondly, I'd suggest we raise our voices in every Christian campaign against injustice and on behalf of the poor. And finally, put your money where your mouth is. Carve out time in your diary to do something. This should be part of every Christian life. You don't have to do everything, but you must, you must do something. Amen. All right, final thing today to finish. What does God promise if we live accordingly? If we live according to the covenant and our side of the bargain. Verse 8, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. You know, we're going to see this in the next couple of weeks of Isaiah. There are some amazing promises as to what God will do when his people are faithful to their side of the covenant. Now listen carefully. I love church. I love praise and worship. You know, I'm I'm just really into it. (laughs) That's probably why I'm a minister. You know, the spiritual disciplines like fasting that draw us close in our relationship to God are so important. But gosh, it's interesting to me that Isaiah 58 states that these are not the things that lead to a revival of God's presence. That's not necessarily what's going to lead to our light breaking forth, healing quickly appearing, righteousness and God's glory appearing. Isaiah 58 says, no, it is our demonstration of justice and compassion. It is our actions and not our words. It is our money and our time and not just our thoughts and prayers. And you know, verse 8 and 9 of Isaiah 58 to me sounds a lot like revival. That, that, That sounds like revival to me. When our fasting... 
and our seeking of God is matched by our standing for justice and our compassion towards the poor, then God will move in ways like of old. Wouldn't that be amazing? And what a worthy cause to spend your life on. Amen. Amen. All right, what we're going to do to finish, I'm going to invite the band to come up and play. I'm going to invite us all just to take a moment just to fill in our next steps forms. Uh, Beyond supporting the work of HOI as you leave, I think Mark and Greg will be in the foyer. They would love you to sign up and sponsor a child. Filling in our next steps form is our call to action tonight. Uh, The work of the church. The continuing ministry of Jesus, the movement for justice has always been a work of all of the people of God, not the professionals. So let me encourage you, get involved, get involved. Profound but simple acts of service and having courage and dedication to the cause of the King.